players and fans fleeing when someone is spotted with a gun in the stands of a high school football game. And that music could only mean one thing. The Delaware Valley Journal is on the air. The official podcast of DelawareValleyJournal.com. We bring you news you can't find anywhere else about Bucks, Chester, Delaware, and Montgomery counties. We have a lot of great stuff up at the website right now, including uh, a fun piece by Christine Flowers, one of our favorite columnists, about whether or not New Jersey deserves to be ranked above Pennsylvania by uh, Wallet Hub, who says it's the second best, best state to live in in the union as opposed to New Jersey, um, excuse me, Pennsylvania, that's just 14th. Our own Linda Stein is very familiar with both states. Linda, does that sound right to you? New Jersey's the second best place to live in the country in the country? Um, no, considering <laughs> that I'm choosing to live in Pennsylvania. Well, uh, I don't know. I, I lived in um, Jersey City for a while and I have the bullet hole to prove it. And uh, I will tell that. you that, yeah, exactly <laughs> that I was pretty stunned. Then again, the part that I lived in many years ago is now like, you know, premium. It's all full of hipsters and money and whatnot. So it's totally different. By the way, Linda Stein, great job on your piece about uh, the games of skill debate. And whether or not, uh, as the casino uh, folks want them to do, they should be shut down here in Pennsylvania. I, I thought it was really informative. And one of the things I thought was interesting is that uh, the number of small businesses who have these games in, you know, at their bar or at their you know convenience store who say, hey, look, this is helping us survive in this tough economy. And it's, am I wrong that the argument seems to be we can't have people wasting their money on these uh, these uh, games that encourage the worst in people. They need to come to the lottery counter and waste their money with us. That could be, <laughs> not to mention the casinos. <laughs> yeah, the casinos don't seem to like them either. But you know, one of the centerpieces of the uh, debate you pointed out in the piece at DelawareValleyJournal.com is this issue of crime? Do these small individual games, you know, spark crime, or is the you know are casinos part of a larger crime issue? Do you know people who gamble too much sometimes turn to crime, et cetera? And you know, who is the person who deals with crime on a day-to-day -day basis uh, right here in the Delaware Valley? Well, one of them is Abington Police Chief Patrick Malloy. Welcome back to the Delaware Valley Journal podcast, uh, uh, Chief Malloy. We're glad to have you. Thank you uh, for having me. Appreciate well, it. before we get to the uh, big, broad picture about crime, Philadelphia and, and, and a recent incident in your community, do you have a take on this debate about the uh, games of skill? Is it an issue in Abington? No, it's not. We really it's um, you're, you're talking to ones that are in the bar. Right. Exactly. Uh, poker. Yeah. I know that they have, um, you know, the LCB and state oversight um, enforcement will do periodic visits uh, to, to those places. And if they're not in compliance, you know, they would be cited and they would remove the machines. But it's not really an, uh, an issue here in Abington. And, you know, to me, it's a metaphor almost for the relationship between Philadelphia and the suburbs, which is places that have, you know, things like gambling, booze, you know, people like to drink. I'm one of them. You know, yeah. like they like to party. And that's a, that's fine. That's all good. But sometimes those activities also tend to spin off, you know, problems, whether it's you've got a really popular bar in your neighborhood, and it gets super loud or whether you've got, you know, people who are maybe abusing alcohol or are gambling too much. And then that leads to, you know, fights, crime, et cetera. And it's hard to find the balance between you want the economic activity and you want people to be happy. And in the case of you know, having a major urban center like Philadelphia, you want people to have jobs. 
But at the same time, you also have the problems that can come with the major urban center. Right now, in your opinion, how is the balance working between the suburban communities and Philadelphia when it comes to fighting crime and uh, keeping the communities livable? Well, I, I can tell you this. The officers uh, in Philadelphia who, who are out there 24-7 in very difficult circumstances, uh, may, oftentimes uh, understaffed um, without um, all the tools that they need, the right. basic tools when it comes to tasers and other less lethal weapons. They're doing a remarkable job, courageous job. Um, but but again, what we have seen this, this crime tick over the last uh, several months or as a result of a number of things, whether it's mental health, um, our overcorrection on the parole and probation, not holding people accountable. And I know that's very complicated. It's not just as a result of decisions made at the prosecutor's office. Sometimes it's just not having the facilities for people who need intervention. Um, so, so we have seen this, um, you know, th this uh, trend even in the suburbs with, um, you know, people that may not have uh, been given probation in the past or released on an ankle bracelet have been in the in the last several months because of some of the challenges that our suburban communities are also having with probation, parole, the prison system. You know, there's a shortage of prisoners, and you know that there's a crisis in the juvenile detention center down in Philadelphia. And um, sadly, you know, some 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 of our communities are are suffering, and we need to figure a way to uh, fix this. And what's happening uh, with recruitment and retention is a crisis in our country. Um, never before do, do I remember, you know, some really big departments, you know, that have like you know hundreds of thousands of residents only have uh, you know a hundred applicants. Or, or even fewer than that. We're seeing a 50%, 75% drop off in applicants in many suburban communities. Um, you know, we are hiring, the majority of our police officers that we're hiring are five-year veterans that from Philadelphia who are usually, they, these are the future leaders of Philadelphia wow. leaving. And, you know, as, as somebody who lived 30 years in a city and, and, and uh, loves the city and, and, um, I, you know, it's, it's depressing to see the, right. the amount of talent that's leaving there and coming. Well, I'm benefiting from it, but it's, it's depressing because I don't know what the future is. I want to interrupt because I know Linda has a question for you. Before we get to that, I just want to follow up on that. These officers that are coming to you, these you know officers with experience. By the way, my uh, uncle is retired LAPD, and so you know, growing up, we, we you know he kind of talking about their you know his experiences and about you know their their problem was because of the standing of the LAPD, particularly at that time, you know, 15, 20 years ago. They would have, like you said, these officers would get trained, they'd get really good, and then they get snatched away by other communities yeah. who basically wanted to steal that training. That can't be good for Philadelphia to have these officers leaving. Why are they leaving? Yes, and, and look, some anecdotal evidence is one of my officers. She came here as a five-year veteran of Philadelphia. She was a rock star by all accounts. Uh, the bosses did not want her to leave. She was uh, actually, she was a professional or she played professional basketball over in Europe, really just a great officer. But she said to me, so, you know, in the beginning of the, my shift, I'm locking up a, a bad guy with a gun. And before I'm off that, that individual is walking out uh, with no cash bail, you know? Wow. So those are things we take an oath to protect and serve. And we can't do it if we don't work as a team, the prosecutors, the mental health, the probation, the parole, and the police officers, our job is to go out there and, ex and execute. We take an oath to do that. And we know what's reasonable. It's not reasonable to people who have multiple gun arrests to be allowed 
uh, out on bail. Uh, you know, it's just not something that I think happens here in Montgomery County. And it's not something that we agree with in our profession as a whole. I'm the president of the Southeast Chiefs of Pennsylvania Police. I'm the vice president of the, of the uh, Pennsylvania Chiefs of Police. Unanimously, when we speak about these issues, we all feel the same way, that this is fixable, but it takes a will and, and it takes some reform. The pendulum needs to swing back um, where we're holding people accountable. And um, and I know it's not easy to do if we don't have the personnel in the prison space and and the prison guards, but but that's how we feel. We need to do this. We, we owe it to our community. Chief, you had mentioned mental health a couple of times. Um, are you seeing um, mental health as a major issue in problems with our teenagers these days? Absolutely. My, my two school resource officers talk about this all the time. Um, they're over there. They, they, they have a great relationship with the young men. You know, my one of my school resource officers was a, like the nose guard when when Temple for, for Temple's football team, when they beat Penn State, he has a great uh, rapport. My other SRO was a was a was a kid who got in trouble as a, as a young man and a school um, resource officer changed him and, and, you know, sort of provided mentorship. And what they're reporting to me is that these kids lack mentorship. They um, their their whole reality is based on their phone. Some of these major we had some, you know, gang violence, Molotov cocktails thrown through windows. Uh, gun violence, um, carjackings, all with two groups who um, a lot of these um, debates and confrontations are in a virtual world. And, right. um, and it turns into, you know, violent shootings. We had one young man was let go on it on from probation and he was went to, in it with a ankle bracelet, went down to Philadelphia, tried to do a carjacking and he got shot in the head and was killed. So, and this was a 16 year old, one of our students, but we are, we're working right now with the uh, black pastors and um, Salem Baptist church. And we have a 40 men that already stepped up to the plate to become mentors. We're doing background investigations mm -hmm. on them now, right? Because we learned when we called the parents together, nine out of the 10 people that showed up were grandmothers or single mothers, very few men in these uh, homes and uh, we identified it as, as something right. that we could do as a positive way to provide mentorship. But getting back, Linda, the mental health thing. So I think well, actually, we let me let me interrupt spending. right there. Let me interrupt again because you keep yep. saying fascinating things. And the, the mentorship is amazing. My uh, father is very active in his church out of South Carolina. He's part of a mentoring program. And I've gotten to meet some of the young men who he started mentoring and his groups are mentoring in their you know, teens. And now they're in their thirties and they're married and it, they say it really turned things around, but you mentioned the school resource officers, as you know, there's a debate, a serious debate about whether or not there should even be police officers in schools. There are people who are concerned about, you know, what they say are historic relationship between minority communities and police, et cetera. Uh, I assume you support having police officers in school since you have to, what do you say when you hear this argument that, uh, that you shouldn't have police officers at our schools? I would say all that we have done in our profession over the last 30 years, you know, before George Floyd, where the whole world was uh, turned upside down and there was an um, unrelenting assault on this profession where people looked at split second decisions and they sort of painted us all with a broad brush. I would tell you that there, there's so many remarkable men and women in this job who want to be mentors to the kids. They have that balance, what I call a steel fist and a velvet glove. Uh, you know, steel fist when they need to hold people accountable, they do. We don't overstep. We're not going to be there when there's a fight in the in the cafeteria and and, you know, invoke some statute. Kids will be kids. We understand the over policing question or at concerns. 
We, you need to have great training for your field training officers. And what better way to develop relationships with young kids? And when and it would also address our recruitment and retention crisis. My two school resource officers are remarkable men, uh, natural leaders and mentors. And a lot of uh, school districts, because of ideology or, or, or painting us with a broad brush, think that having a police officer with a gun in the school is somehow over-policing when the vast majority of our police officers with the proper training and, and wanting to be with the kids, it takes a special kind of cop that wants to do that. Um, I think that's how we ought to be recruiting and we should do everything we can because my officers are highly trained. My, one of them is a SWAT officer. He's in the school all day. You know, they, they have all kinds of tools on their belt, but the, the biggest tool is their um, ability to communicate and and uh, de-escalate and help the officers. In 30 years, we've had officers, school resource officers in Abington Township School District, and we've had no major uses of force over there. You know, somebody's um, been tased. Yeah. Uh, um, Chief, was that a school resource officer who intervened with the kid that had the gun on Friday night? Yes, two of them. And it was, thank God for a mother uh, who, who wanted to remain anonymous, saw the gun in the kid's waistband. Uh, they isolated this kid. Uh, they they had a little, they needed a little more probable cause, not just based on her, uh, but he was smoking a vape maybe with weed. We don't know, but that's why they stopped him. And boom, as soon as my officer puts his hand on his shoulder, he goes down to grab something from his waist. And Jordan Jones, one of my school resource officers and a sec second school resource officer took him to the ground quickly, took him into custody, recovered 30 round magazine, uh, two extended magazines, uh, a laser wow. that is affixed to the gun and a ghost gun, which is has, is not traceable. So 17 years old, God knows what he was up to, but the actions and the, and the planning of those officers to take him in custody with very few people even knowing it and escorting him out of there was, was remarkable. And nobody was hurt. And nobody was hurt. Thank God. Nope. Thank God. So, but why was uh, the decision made to continue playing the game until into the third quarter before yes. evacuating? Yes. And, and, and again, I was off duty. Um, the superintendent was off duty. Um, a lot of the people didn't even realize what happened for a few minutes. My officers took them into custody before it was reported back through the chain of command, even to, to high school staff that was there. They immediately called the superintendent. The superintendent and I spoke on the phone, texted back and forth, and we thought it was the best idea to stop this game as soon as possible because we don't have any intelligence from this uh, young man's phone. We don't I don't think, you know, they even spoke to him or there's, they haven't yielded any uh, motive uh, as of ten, as of today. Uh, why was why did he bring that there? We were concerned that if we didn't err on the side of caution and end that game, what if there he was there with a gun because there was a rival gang or there was some other something else? Up? Uh, so out of an abundance of caution, that's why we we stopped the game. There was a little bit of a lag. Linda, you're right uh on, on that but but it was more of a communication to talk about the pros and cons and the pros of of, of suspending it was were, were uh outweighed the cons um and i guess there was a little bit of a stampede when the football players started running off the field yeah i you know what i did not um i know there was probably a little bit of um you know confusion because it just ended so abruptly. But according to my police officers who were there, and, and I, th I think we sent almost our entire force over to the stadium to help um, keep the calm and help with the flow of traffic. You know, we actually opening additional gates so people didn't feel trapped. But no, I didn't get a sense that there was a, 
that much panic. Uh, but again, I, I'm not sure where you heard that, but I'm, um, there could have been some, but I, I, I didn't hear that. Oh, one of the one of the parents who was there last night, because I went to the Ch I went to the Cheltenham uh, meeting oh, yeah. where, where it was discussed. Um, are you seeing more violence from teenagers these days? Um, we we are we are we're seeing an uptick in um, violence, and um, you know teenagers carrying guns as a result of a car stop. You know we could be on a car stop, and at the end of that car stop, we we we, we recover a gun that's hidden under a seat. Um, we, we had, um, an uptick in, in assaults uh, at the mall, you know, um, we had, we've had teenagers commit a, a carjacking at the mall, which is unheard of. We've never had carjackings in the suburbs. And I think yeah, that I remember was, that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so look, I mean, I, honestly, kids will be kids. You'll have, you'll have fights, but when they introduce guns and, or threats with a gun and posting videos, uh, with guns saying that they're going to, you know, retaliate. These are things that we had not seen before. And I think it's a, you know, um, a convergence of a lot of issues, right? Post-COVID issues, lack of mental health, lack of other support systems that these kids uh, need. And we're Dads. trying to look at it. And, you know, I know when I was on and I, and I, when I, you know, when after, um, you know, the Philadelphia DA's office, somebody in the inquiry wrote an article, like basically saying that the chief Malloy doesn't understand the complexities of crime and how I oversimplified it or I, you know, not a team player. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's not, not nothing further, Linda, from the truth. And I, I don't feel the need to respond to that. But, but it does. You know, my loved ones and other people that see that, who all know me, especially people, members of the black community. You know, they even inferred that. Uh, you know, my attack on the Philadelphia DA's office was racist. You know, this is a, such crazy talk at a time when we speak about bringing people together to fix problems, and we're going to hold you accountable in the suburbs. You're not going to walk away after having a gun with no bail. That unfortunately happens in Philadelphia, and that's not the policy of the district attorney office here or in Bucks County. And I would I would advocate that we make changes in that regard. That you know, not simply having a gun. <laughs> and, and, you know, should not be like a summary offense or, or treat it as if um, we should not detain you. Because right. I think if you have that, if you're willing to carry a gun, especially this young man with, with 31 rounds, more than our officers carry into a football game with 3000 people, there's something up there. And well, we, let me ask you, let me ask, because when uh, sometimes when people who advocate for tough legal response to uh, the illegal possession of guns, you know, for example, you know, automatic, you know, sentencing, and there've been communities that have tried adding simply a year to whatever, you know, whatever else you did, you know, robbery, blah, blah. You, if you were in illegal possession of a gun, they slap on a year non-negotiable, you know, to the sentence. And what I'm told is that that just doesn't happen, that in communities that try that, the prosecutors will plea out that charge and go to some other charge in order to avoid the mandatory, you know, you had a gun, you had it illegally, you committed a crime, you have to serve time, period. So, is do would would the you know uh, community benefit from having a direct connection to illegal possession of gun and time served? And it, is what I'm hearing true that prosecutors are working around it, or is that just uh, or is that a misunderstanding? Yeah, I think uh, you know we, we after uh, George Floyd, I think we 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 took a look at um, how many people were being incarcerated. We look we looked at demographics. Um, uh, disparities with um, race and, and arrests. And, um, and I think a lot of DA's offices, 
um, sort of looked at the laws on the books and said, is it making sense to to high, have high cash cash bail on people who are in position possession of a firearm illegally? Um, and some uh, DA's office opted to say, OK, we can just release them because, you know, we're, we don't want to punish them for having a gun. We, we just want them to show up for court and, and then face consequences. But what we have seen is multiple gun arrests where still people are not being adjudicated, whether it's a backlog in the courts or just a, a failure to um, be responsible to what I think needs to be done for people who are repeat offenders carrying guns. Some of the, when you look at the recidivism rates, um, uh, Mike, we, we see that people who carry guns illegally, I think it's like almost 60 to 70% um, reoffend within the next five years. Um, wow. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a high number. So I, I just think, look, gun in and of themselves, I, I'm not going to get into a gun debate here. I think that there should be more responsible gun laws, especially these red flag laws. I, I hate when people have mental health issues or are able to walk in and get a, you know, a high powered rifle. I know that's much more complicated uh, than, it, than, it, than it sounds, but I think we need to try to do more to make sure. And, and that's like, see something, say something. Our loved ones, if they're, if they're suffering from mental health Ill, issues, try to get that gun away from them. You know, even the illegally owned guns, because bad things happen when people are, in, fa in fact, suicide rates, you know, we, we see too many of them, unfortunately. Well, Chief, um, one of the other things that the parents requested at the meeting I went to last night here, here in Cheltenham, um, was metal detectors, not only at school buildings, but also at games so that people would um, go through a metal detector and have their bags checked like at the airport. Is that a good idea? You know, Linda, I hate for us to have to go that far. You know, when, when you look at, um, you know, 3,000 people coming into that game and, and how, um, and then of course that would require that when they leave the stadium, coming back in, you would have to uh, have somebody there. It would be somewhat labor intensive, and um, and we probably would need multiple uh, metal detectors in order to keep people flowing in and out. Um, I know that that was discussed with our command staff and the superintendent in Abington also yesterday. We had an emergency meeting at 1030 with our school resource officers, principals, and everything is on this table. Linda, I, I just I hate the idea of, of us going to that extreme Although, you know, it, it would certainly be a deterrent and um, and people would feel better and safer if it could be done in a way where we don't inconvenience and keep people waiting too long to get into a football stadium. I would support something like that. Um, but but again, I I just think we need to educate our um, our fans have more control mechanisms and staff members from the school there. Sometimes you know who the actors are, who the kids are. And, uh, and, right. and I think at, at the Abington game, you know, a lot of these 99% of these kids are good kids. It's a small number that are committing uh, the most of the offenses, just as it is in society. Um, well, Chief, I was wondering what the consequences might be for uh, this juvenile who was arrested if he's uh, obviously found, found guilty of it. Yes, um, they, they schedule what is called an intake hearing, and I believe that that may be taking place as we speak or tomorrow. They try to, um, he, he, you know, he was he was um, transported right to the Montgomery County uh, Juvenile Detention Center, and they're scheduling a hearing in the next couple of days. Um, and, and that would only be a preliminary um, a finding. But I something like this. He, he could be detained for extended period of time. He could be where um, after release to have to wear an ankle monitor and then right. 
report to his juvenile probation officer on a regular basis and a number of other things, depending on what's going on in his head. I'm not sure what other issues are at play here uh, with this young man. Well, listen, we appreciate you taking the time to talk about all these issues with us here on the podcast. And uh, we look forward to watching developments in Abington and across the uh, region in the future. Thanks so much for your time, Chief. Yep. And thank you for having me. Have a good afternoon. You too. Take care. Yeah, take care, guys. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Delaware Valley Journal on the air. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your friends, post it on social media. And if you haven't, sign up for our twice a week newsletter so you don't miss any of the terrific content from DelawareValleyJournal.com. Thanks again. I'm your host, Michael Graham.